0: Please turn with me then in our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. So we'll be looking at chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Please, brothers and sisters, then hear with me a reading of God's Word. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And He said to them, Pay attention To what you hear, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. From the inception of Jesus' ministry, He's come proclaiming the kingdom of God. We see that in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, where Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, Jesus' teaching on the kingdom was not an easy one to understand. Even those closest to Him had a hard time understanding. Last week in the parable of the sower, we said that Jesus told His disciples to them it had been given the secret of the Kingdom of God. And yet we know that even after the resurrection of Jesus, those disciples still did not clearly know what the Kingdom meant. It's because they were not hearing Jesus. They had a a preconceived notion of what the kingdom was, and that kingdom had not come. And this is then why they ask in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom of God? You see, they were under the impression, like the other Israelites, that when the kingdom came, it was going to come in an earthly form, a physical kingdom here on earth. And this expectation showed in their reaction. To the crucifixion of Jesus. right? Because when Christ died, so too did their hopes of that earthly kingdom. And we see that. That's why they ran away and hid in fear. But perhaps if they understood the kingdom as Jesus was teaching it, they would have responded differently. This is why it is so important for us to understand the message of Jesus. Because according to our understanding, we act. according to what we understand, we act. And it's in these parables then that Jesus is teaching us not only about what the kingdom of God is, but how we are to respond to that kingdom according to the message that we have received. In fact, this whole section of Mark, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to verse 32, Jesus is teaching the disciples about the nature of the kingdom. In fact, Mark, starting in, excuse me, Matthew, in his gospel, starting in in chapter 13, likewise, teaches, he has seven parables on the kingdom. He has a few more than Mark, but these these are called kingdom parables. They're teaching the disciples about what the kingdom of God is. And they both record them consecutively. Right? These kingdom parables come back to back to back so that they are in driving home, they are impressing upon you the importance of understanding the kingdom, but they also are showing you the impact that the kingdom ought to have upon you. And the kingdom teaching ought to have an impact upon you. And we'll see how in a little bit. But unlike the parable of the sower, and unlike the parables that we're going to look at next week, in verses 26-32, to which is the parable of the seed growing and the parable of the mustard seed. Our parable today, in fact, does not contain the words, the Kingdom of God, like these other parables do, but make no bones about it. This parable is very much about the Kingdom of God as we will see. And so today our undertaking will be threefold as we seek to better understand What Jesus is conveying to His disciples about the Kingdom of God. And those three headings are this then. The first is understanding the lamp. Understanding the lamp. Second is using our ears. Using our ears. And then the third is utilizing our gifts. Utilizing our gifts. So point one, understanding the lamp. Now, Jesus begins this parable with a question that has the most obvious of answers, doesn't it? Even the the smallest of our children in church would know the answer to this this first question Jesus gives in verse 21. But like we said last week, parables are, are real life stories that we can see ourselves in, right? And so any first century Jew at this time would be able to understand and identify what Jesus is saying here in verse 21. They all would have had a, an oil lamp that they would have kept in their homes to, to light their home at night. They would have had a, a basket. They would have had a, a bed. They would have had a stand or, or some place that they would have placed that lamp down upon. And so they can picture exactly what Jesus is saying. And so they are obviously thinking the exact same thing that we all are today as we sit here. And that is, of course, a lamp is not made to be put under a bed. Of course, a lamp isn't made to be put under a basket. That defeats the purpose of a lamp. Right? A lamp is lit so that it might illuminate a darkened room. A lamp is lit so that we may be seen and that we can see others. And this can only happen if a lamp is placed on top of a stand. Not underneath a bed or a basket. And I'm sure everyone can kind of understand. They can easily wrap their heads around what Jesus is saying. We might think of it in our own terms. Uh, A flashlight to us might be equivalent to the oil lamp for them. And we all know what it's like to use a flashlight, don't we? We've all had the, the lights go out in our house. Some circuit breaker go out. And what happens? You've got to feel around the house in the dark to get to your drawer where the flashlight is and you flip the button on so you can see and walk down the stairs to switch the circuit breaker. Or for many of us, you can remember as children going out at night and playing with your friends in the yard, you know, hide and go seek, and you'd you'd carry a flashlight around with you so that you could see what was going on. But what would happen when you placed your hand on top of the flashlight? You no longer could see, right? What What was clearly visible and evident no longer was made visible and seen. What was light now became darkness. And so we have to ask, what is it that Jesus is trying to teach them with this parable? Because He's not trying to teach them something that they already know, something that's obvious to all people. Even unbelievers know that you don't put a lamp under a bed or a basket. They know that you put it on a stand for that's its purpose, to shine out life. Well, remember, we said last week, parables were given to us so that we think. Right? Parables aren't always openly explained for us. And so, one of the ways in which we are to understand this text, one of the keys to understanding this parable is first understanding the lamp. We have to understand what the lamp is. Now, R.C. Sproul in his Commentary on this text points out that there is a definite article before the word lamp. Okay, there's a definite article before the word lamp, which clues us in on how we are to understand the lamp. And so, a more accurate uh, rendering of verse 21 isn't, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket. As if He's speaking of lamps in general or any lamp. But rather it is this, is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket. You see, Jesus is only speaking about one particular lamp. Jesus is speaking about Himself. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world to enlighten the world with the Gospel. It is Jesus Christ who shines His light in darkness to enlighten our hearts and our minds and to give light to our very souls. You see, Jesus is saying, I have not come in the world to remain hidden. I have come into the world that I might be revealed. That the world might know Me. Jesus has come to reveal to this dark age the mystery of the kingdom of God. He has come to reveal salvation to His people. With Christ coming, He has brought with Him the kingdom and its power in order that He might now establish His church. And in fact, verse 21 is further explained to us then by verse 22. When he says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Remember, this parable today comes on the heels of the parable of the sower. And so it is rightly interpreted in light of that parable. And what did Jesus say in the parable of the sower? To you it has been given to have the secret of the knowledge of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying to them, I revealed the kingdom to you. Right? I revealed this mystery to you or else you would have never known it. Right? It, it took the, the sower to prepare the heart of the hearer to receive the kingdom of God and to receive it by faith when they are confronted by its power and salvation. And now in verses 21 and 22 of our text today, Jesus is saying that message of the kingdom that I gave and revealed to you isn't to stop with you. The message that I reveal to you is not to stop with these disciples and these apostles, but it is to go out into all of the world. For a time, it was to remain hidden. For a time, this kingdom teaching was to be secret. Jesus, in fact, tells us this, doesn't He? He says that's why He taught in parables, so that He would hide the teaching from some. But that teaching wasn't meant to always be concealed. Only for a time. And then it was to be revealed. For He came to save sinners from their sin. And how was He to do that? It was through the proclamation of the Gospel and revealing the Kingdom of God to all His people. Sinclair Ferguson says of this parable, the purpose of the parable is the contrast between the present concealment of the kingdom of God with its future manifestation. You see, at this moment in our text, Jesus is the veiled King. Jesus is the veiled Messiah. He is the veiled Son of God. But it will not be that way forever. There will come a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But right now, it is through the preaching of the Gospel that God is calling His elect and unveiling their eyes to the mystery. It is through that lamp being put on that lampstand so that we can now have sight. Right, That is what we are to do now with Christ. In the Gospel, in the message of the Kingdom, put it on a lampstand so that all can see. It was His apostles who Jesus was training in order to bring this light to the world. This is how the Kingdom was to be manifested. This is how the light was to shine so that we might become lamps unto the Lord. The light of Christ is projected to the world when the Gospel is proclaimed. And when that Word is proclaimed, it is the Spirit then who sets light to the hearts of the believer. You see, at creation, brothers and sisters, we, we had that light. We had that light that creation. We rightly knew God. But through the fall and through sin, that light now has been severely dimmed so that we can no longer reach out and know God. But in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, we are told, the Spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. You see, this lamp needs to be lit again by the Lord in order for us to believe. We might think of it like this. We've all had birthday celebrations, and you have a birthday cake with candles on top of it, and none of them are lit. Usually how do you light them? Right? You usually have one candle that's lit, and then you go around and you light all the others with the candle that you have. Right? So it is with Christ by His Spirit. He reveals to us what was concealed. Right? By revealing the mystery to us as the Spirit lights and ignites the lamp of our hearts to believe through the preaching of the Gospel. And then as lamps unto the Lord, it is our duty and our task and our responsibility to reflect that light back upon Christ in His Gospel. Think about it. How many of you have been to a play? All right. What happens at a play? When it's about to begin, the lights go dark. And you have spotlights in the back that turn on and shine center stage, don't they? That is what we are to be like, brothers and sisters. When the Holy Spirit lights the lamp of our heart and excites us to faith, as lamps of the living God, we are to now project that light onto Christ. We are to project that light center stage onto the Gospel for all to see and hear. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we in any way hiding that light? Or are we putting that light upon a pedestal for all to see and to hear? Sadly, I think in many places that light is being hid. Whether that's by false doctrine. Whether that's by theatrics in church nowadays. Not enough ministers think like Paul who said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Woe is to me if I do not preach the Gospel. Moral cowardice is oftentimes the reason. People are more fearful of the faces in the pews than they are fearful of the face of God. As Richard Baxter once said, he that fears his people's faces is the man who's most likely to murder their souls. He who fears his people's faces is the man most likely to murder his people's souls. This is why here, brothers and sisters, we see it so vitally important. To do nothing other than to present you before the feet of Christ. That is the purpose of the minister. To have Christ always at the tip of our tongue and proceeding out of our lips. Remember last week from the parable of the sower. It's not the minister who is to create the seed. We aren't trying to be creating a new word in order to, to make it pliable for people to hear. Make it palatable for them. The duty of the minister is to give unto you only Christ's words. That is the seed that is sufficient. That seed is enough. For we know that it is the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so we don't do a darkened world any favors when we conceal from them the light of the gospel. Right? People need to hear it. They need to be confronted with the kingdom of God so that they would make a decision, so that they would choose. But if we love people, how can we ever conceal Christ from them? God has given us and imparted to us His light, not so that we hoard it for ourselves, but that we would impart it to others. For those of us unwilling to share that light with others, you have to ask, are you content with you being the only one with that light? With you being the only one with salvation? With the promise of eternal life? Because if you are, there's a problem. Because how did Paul think about this? How did Paul think about his kinsmen? How did Paul think about his fellow Israelites who were not believers? He said in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, for I can wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. This, brothers and sisters, is love for your neighbor. Sharing the Gospel is love for your neighbor. This is the only way that they are going to enter the Kingdom of Heaven. But also, we cannot forget the responsibility of the one who's hearing the Gospel proclaimed. Because they do have a responsibility. And I think that this is what Jesus is pointing us to in verse 23 and in the first half of verse 24. He says this, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. And here is point number two. Using our ears using our ears. I oftentimes think to myself, I wonder what would happen if I came in one Sunday morning and I gave them a pop quiz about what they learned the following Sunday. And you know what? Today's that day. Take out a piece of paper and a... No, I'm just joking. I wouldn't do that to you, but I've seen, I seen some of you sweating. But the point is, is if you haven't understood if you haven't retained, it is what you've been taught, what purpose does it serve? How does it benefit you in any way? We live in a culture today who has a very low attention span. Right? It keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I wonder how any of us, myself included, could sit through a a Puritan worship service in the 17th century that ran three hours long. I'm sure we'd have a lot of trouble. There'd be a lot of complainers, right? Messages are just getting shorter and shorter to appease the attention span of people. And it's instead, what's being replaced by it is entertainment and theatrics. And leaders think that they're they're helping their people when they're doing this. But in fact, they're doing nothing to help their souls. I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that when we come here... And when I step up in the pulpit, I have a responsibility to you. And ultimately, I have a responsibility to God to preach the Gospel. But I also want you to know that when you walk in these doors and you sit down and you hear the Word preached, you too have a responsibility. You too have a responsibility to yourself, to everyone here, and ultimately to the Lord. Right now, I'm reading this book that's a composition of articles on Puritan life, and I found some fascinating uh, facts about how they listened and learned on the Lord's Day. You know, it was common for them that after the Lord's after the uh, Lord's Day worship service, that they would return home, and the heads of the households would recount the sermon back to their children. And they would go around in the household and everyone would recount what it is they remembered and learned from the sermon. And then you know what? The notes that they took from that sermon, they would spend throughout their day in private meditation and prayer thinking about that sermon. Right? Pushing down what was in their head to their heart. And I wonder, do any of us here do that? Husbands, do you do that with your wives? Fathers, do you do that with your families? Those of you who are single, do you do this with yourselves? You know, I want you to know that every week before I come and I preach this sermon to you guys, I first preach it to myself. We can't possibly remember and use what we've learned if we're not spending a considerable amount of time trying to retain it and learn it and keep it in our minds and in our hearts. To ask, how do I apply what i learned to my life? How am I now to think about things based on what I've learned? How am I now to pray based on what I've heard? When am I now to think about Jesus and about God based on what I've heard? how should that cause me now to turn around and praise God because of the things that I have now learned? It takes attentive listening. It takes diligent hearing. Anyone can walk in here, listen and leave and forget everything. That's easy to do, brothers and sisters, isn't it? That's easy to do. But this should not characterize the Christian. We must resolve that when we step foot in here, that we are resolved to listen attentively. To listen to the glory of God. This is such an important question that actually the Westminster Catechism asks and answers this very question. It is question 65 in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the question is this. How is the Word to be read and heard, that it may become effectual to salvation. And this is the answer. That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up within our hearts, and practice it in our lives. We must become people who listen diligently, coming prepared, being prayerful that God would help us to listen and then receiving that Word by faith and in love and then going out and applying that that we've learned to our daily living. But we can only do that when we resolve to be people who study the Word and who look back on the Word and who marinate on the Word and who digest the Word that we have heard. Jesus is saying to His hearers that listening is hard. Hearing is hard. Because these things are not trivial matters. The Kingdom of God is not a trivial matter. The Gospel is not a trivial matter. The person and work of Christ is not a trivial matter. These are eternal matters. Richard Baxter said this, Great truths will do great works upon our hearts. Meditation on great and weighty truths will make great and weighty Christians. Brothers and sisters, I know you guys here today desire to be weighty Christians. But we have to remember, just like we tell our children, Anything that you, that's worth getting in life, right? you have to work hard for it. Right? Nothing comes easy in this world. We have to remind ourselves of that as well. But thankfully, our ability to hear and to receive does not rest completely upon our own shoulders. Neither does our ability to grow and to progress in the faith. Even though Jesus makes it clear that we must be progressing in the faith. We must be active participants in our progression. This is what Jesus says to us in verses 24 and 25. And He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has, Will be taken away. This is our final point this morning. Point three, which is utilizing our gifts. You see, brothers and sisters, scripture is clear as Christians. We cannot stand still. We cannot stand still. We cannot be stagnant Christians. We are always going forward or going backwards. We are always growing or declining. But we cannot be stationary in the Christian life. And depending on which one you are, if you are the one growing or falling behind, it ought to be a good indicator for you of what you think about the teaching and instruction of the Lord. Because for those of you who cherish it and who love it, you're going to soak it in and you're going to apply it to your life, to the capacity that God has given to you in order that you might glorify God in it. Matthew Henry says, God expects the grateful return of His gifts. God expects the grateful return of His gifts. He doesn't give us gifts so as to sit on them. He gives us gifts in order that we might utilize them. We see this in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. I ask that you please, if you'd like to, turn with me to Matthew 25 starting in verse 24. Matthew 25. Starting in verse 24, and we'll go to verse 30 as we look at this parable of the talents. We read this, "...He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place there will be in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the servant who sits idly by and does nothing with the good gifts of God is called a worthless servant. But we know what God thinks about those who utilize the gifts and graces He gives to us. He says it in this parable. I didn't want to read the entire thing, but He calls them faithful servants. And He says, for those who do much with the little He has given to them, more will be added to you. Those who sit on the gifts of God miss out on the good blessings of Him. But those who utilize Him, God will be generous to you. And we can be sure that He has. Because hasn't He been generous to us in His gift of salvation? Hasn't He poured out His love upon us? Provided to us His Son? Forgiven us our sin? Granted to us adoption? Given us peace and assurance and hope and eternal life to name a few? And what ought to we do in return? We are to use those gifts that we have been given to glorify God. We are to make great strides in the Christian life so that we might praise and honor the name of our heavenly King. This is the reason, brothers and sisters, that we have been called to a heavenly calling. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Practice these things. He's talking about these things that I've taught you. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for in doing so you will save both yourself and others. Immerse yourselves, brothers and sisters, in what you have heard if you want to progress. We are to immerse ourselves in these things. And that progression ought to be evident to our brothers and sisters. And you progress by keeping a watch on yourself. By keeping a watch upon the things that you have heard. And we are to do so, Paul says, constantly. We are to persist in these things. There is never time in a Christian life that we stop. What was the end of this unfaithful servant in the parable of the talents? We were told he was cast into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus, in our text today, says the very same thing in verse 25 when He says, From the one who has not, even what He has will be taken away. Jesus is threatening retribution to the unfaithful and to the unfruitful. You are either growing in Christ or you are being alienated from the life of Christ. And we will see the result of that when the Kingdom of God is fully manifested, when Christ returns in all of His glory. But the Kingdom parable is clear. Jesus is saying, I am the lamp. I am the light that is to be proclaimed to the entire world. You are to tell everyone about me and my kingdom. I was for a time concealed, but now I shall be revealed. So everyone who hears, pay attention. Pay attention and be diligent in doing so. And be found doing the will of God with those gifts and graces that He has given to you. For with the coming of Christ, in part has come the kingdom. But there will come a time when the kingdom of God will be fully manifested and the light of Christ will expose all things. And He will separate the sheep from the goats. And He will separate those who have heard and who have accepted and who have responded by faith. And He will separate them from those who have heard but who have denied and rejected And have been unfruitful. But herein lies the good news, brothers and sisters. Our worthiness, our participation in this kingdom of God does not depend on us, but it depends on the One who has saved us. The light of the world will not fail in lighting the wick of your heart. He has already accomplished it all. On the cross He said, it is finished. Our salvation is secure. Christ has come as that great high priest who has already atoned for our sins. Christ has come as the prophet. And even today, and every Sunday that you come, you hear His prophetic word speak to you. And it is through that word that He causes you to hear and to listen, and to grow. And it is Christ the King who reigns and rules in our hearts today through His Holy Spirit. And it is Christ who, like any good king, continues to supply every one of us with everything that we need to live in His kingdom. He continues to supply us greater faith, greater assurance, greater peace, greater hope. But he tells us, we must progress as well. We must continue. We must grow up in our gifts and graces. We must continue to proclaim the kingdom. We must continue to be lights shining forth in this world, directing people to the kingdom of God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is Christ and not ourselves who keep us secure. It is Christ who will present us body and soul Blameless before the Father. And we can be sure that He will do this. Because He who called us is faithful. And so He will surely accomplish all that He has purposed and set out to do. So, brothers and sisters, please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Your Word, Your Gospel, is music to our ears. It causes us to reflect upon Your graciousness and Your goodness and Your mercy. We pray, Father, that we would be putting the great lamp, Jesus Christ, on a pedestal on a stand for all to see that we would be faithful in proclaiming Him to all hearers. We confess our sin and ask that You would forgive us if there is ever a time in which we place other things before Christ and if there is ever a time that we have hidden them from the eyes of Your people. We pray, Father, that You give us greater zeal to listen and to hear and to act and to respond. For we know that None of this can be done apart from Your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we come before You this morning asking all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.